Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're joined by Mike Hesketh, and we're calling this episode Fighting to the top and you'll see why so mike was a royal marine commando and served in afghanistan he's a dentist got an mba from exeter university business school and is the creator of dartmoor dental his new dental practice welcome mike how you doing hi mike yeah hello hi chris hi andy nice to meet you both doing very well yeah, no, absolutely I, 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 i'm sitting here and thinking just from that introduction we've got an awful lot to unpack there's going to be a lot we're going to have to try and get through before we um, before we finish this. But as a starter, um, I want to get into the Green Beret bit, the commando bit. But but let's roll back before that. What was what was your upbringing like? Where, you know, where did you come from? What was the flight? Oh, so we were in Welsh, and so the right. rugby wasn't great on the weekend. So, yeah, no. <laughs> but don't worry, England, we can go with you on that as well. Yeah, very disappointing. Yeah. No, so I'm Welsh. I grew up in North Wales. Um, I wanted to be a dentist from sort of age 14. Weirdly enough. Um, oh, wow. I um, left school home uh, when I was 18 to go to Leeds University, quite young. Any uh, dentists in the family, Mike? No, 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 just did work experience when you do that work experience earlier on. Um, in your Got school. you hooked. Yeah, and um, just wanted to um, do something scientific. Um, no medical background whatsoever. So That's what? interesting, isn't it? Because quite often for somebody that young, quite often there is a, a family connection mm, yeah. or you know an uncle or a, a parent or something like that but for you to have, have hooked into that so young was it was there a kind of a good school program because i think um careers days at schools have sort of mixed reviews people either say it was amazing and that set me on the right path or uh, they're no, absolutely rubbish and not, they don't seem to have really. any value at all my, my stepfather is um he's quite mercenary in his thinking and he's like look you can you're doing all right at sciences so rather than be a doctor and be a, be a dentist and the hours are better and the pay might be better and from what he could see and he had a friend <laughs> you know, who was, a, who was a, a dentist and he said look go and do work experience with him and it was just always a given thing that I was going to be a dentist um, and then I changed schools from sort of secondary school state school massive one in Wales to a private school for my A-levels um, so I had so at 16 I went for a bit of a change um, in a very different culture um, from football playing to rugby mm. playing and I think that stood me in good yeah. stead actually when I applied for Leeds University the chap interviewing me was like oh he wanted to know about that transition that I'd made because I'd only just turned 18 yeah. when uni started and they seemed pretty confident mm. with that and they let me let me go to Leeds Uni um, yeah but my that uh, must have been quite hard I mean, to go to go from a, a big state school to a, a private school at at 16 I'm assuming you sort of went solitary you didn't take any you weren't with any friends you just moved no, no I just, yeah I just wanted to change I don't know what it was um I think something that runs through it just because you're asking about the background my father was killed in a car crash when I was eight years old so my mother raised my brother and I wow, um, oh, wow. as a single mum and that was obviously quite sort of a, a different feeling and I think I don't know I just felt like I'd got through the secondary school thing and I wanted a bit of a change at 16 but I, I don't know if there was a hang up from that or what um, and then I went obviously mm. I, was, I was quite sporty are, are you are you older than your brother Mike no I'm younger are you I'm the, the oldest of, yeah, yeah yeah right okay right 
Yeah, so that's, that's, um, that's hard, isn't it? Because that that though quite often those things kind of often shape your thinking and your behaviours and your outlook. Uh, but for it to happen so young, it's, it's, yeah. it's tricky. Yeah, you don't, it's a funny one, really. You don't really think too much about it until you become a father yourself. And think, oh, actually, you know, he died when he was um, 32 in a car crash. I mean, yeah, that was, you know, you sort mm. of just get out of your life, don't you? Mm. And my brother and I have both gone mm. to I, I suppose the other side is, yeah, we only know, we only know our own story. So mm. for you, you know, you just lost your father at eight and you've lived the rest of your life without your father. Yeah. So from that point of view, it's it's... That's all you've known. I, I think it first hit me. We had a bank manager um, several years ago who was blind. And I remember talking to him about it. And he said, well, he's been blind all his life. So he's no idea what it's like, what to, it's see. like to see. Yeah. So from, from that point of view, he was like, well, I, I don't really know what your world's like. I just know my world. And that, yeah, that's kind of, we only ever know our own situation, don't we? Yeah. yeah. That's, a, yeah that's a good analogy. That, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's like. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it made a Leeds University. Good. Yeah, so I was at Leeds Uni um, at a relatively young age. And in my second year, my brother was with the Reserve Royal Marine Commandos in Merseyside. And his best friend was in uh, UK Special Forces. And they used to talk about, uh, you know, being soldiering. And I'm, you know, obviously doing my thing at sort of age 20 in uni. And this, this chap in Special Forces was like, you know, the, the Royal Marine Commandos have dentists attached. And if you wanted to be a little bit, more interesting and he told me there's three units in the Royal Marines 700 men and each one has its own dentist and they're Royal Navy dentists um, so I thought oh okay that's interesting and an army recruiter came to uni and he was talking to me about joining the army and I was like oh tell me about the Royal Navy and he said, oh, so then he had to give me a car for someone else <laughs> um, and then the Navy sponsored me for the last three years of uni and they paid me a salary they paid all tuition fees wow tuition fees had just kicked in and then they, um, and then they gave us a, a double vocational training salary at the time was sort of twenty two k, and they gave double that, um, and the return of service was seven years, and then they said they'd pay for all the training. Right. Wow. I knew I was only going to do seven years, and I was qualifying from Leeds Uni at twenty two, but I was basically a cadet at university. Right. I mean, that's a great. I suppose one, it gives you a very clear career path coming out of uni but what what a ridiculous situation to be in to being paid a salary to complete your your studies and then go on to something you want to do i'm sure there's lots of people listening today who, who are either foundation dentists or city dental school scratching their heads going my goodness i'm coming out with a minimum sixty thousand pound debt and this guy got paid to do what i'm doing i bet yeah. you were popular on nights out yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think I think the salary at the time as a student was like twelve k <laughs> a year. You know, it's a thousand pounds a month. It was amazing, and the, and also your pension. And I don't think yeah. about it back then, but your pension kicks in from the moment that they start paying you. And so I've got like eleven years of pension. Right, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I only did eight eight years yeah. in the navy, but you get end up with eleven years of pension. They pay for all the Royal College exams, Eastman exams, and everything. I mean, they're a great employer. Very good. Yeah. So, so you obviously then qualified as a dentist, and then, and what, what was your, hmm. what was your navy, your military career like for those those seven years? What stuff did you get up to? Yeah, so um, I spent a year doing vocational training. We ended up in Gibraltar, looking after children down there. And um, so I spent uh, the summer in Gibraltar, um, and then you do this sort of rotational vocational training where you meet with the RAF and the, and the army dentist together for a week in Germany. 
um, a week in Cyprus and um, different parts of, of the UK. And that was the sort of first year. So I felt like I was well calibrated as a dentist. And then I went straight to 40 Commander Royal Marines in Taunton, in Somerset. And then 40 Commander at the time were the lead commando, just goes rotation between the three units. So I ended up being um, going off to Poland, Russia, um, Northern Europe, um, down to Sierra Leone, Leone, the Congo, and soldiering in the jungle. Yeah, wow. And when you're there, there's only sort of four people with a blue beret. There's the uh, Navy chaplain, the Navy doctor, myself, and the education officer. And so everyone else has a green commando berry that they've gone through hell to get. And so as a young guy, they kind of expect you have a crack at it. Um, have you watched that 14 Peaks on Netflix? Oh, Nims. Mm. Nims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. Nims was on my commando course with me. And he, he laughed. Oh wow. oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So he, he laughed all the way through the course. He, he had a couple of mates with him on the course from the Gurkhas. And um, obviously you don't know about his background until you watch it on Netflix. But at the time, he's one of the lads. He's great. And, but he's so strong. And so, you know, physically he was immense. Um, but no better than most mm. of the other guys, to be fair. Um, and then, so it was interesting just flicking on Netflix and seeing him climbing the 14 peaks. Sort of mentality that so that nims that you see well there's one part isn't there when they get to one of the the mountains and there's a snow blizzard and they don't think they're going to be able to climb so his attitude is well let's have a party let's have some drinks let's make it fun and we'll laugh our way through it that sounds like that's the real nims yeah that, that was it and it was um humor in the face of adversity is one of the four commando spirits um, mm. there's, there's mm. usual like courage or bravery you know those sort of things but the one that always sticks in my mind is humor in the face of adversity um, it's, right. it's something that and did Mike did you have to go through the um, qualifying you know I've, I, remember, I remember watching there was something on the TV once about taking people through the training for the Royal Marine and it's like nuts and I presume you have to go through all that yourself do you? Yeah you do you just get yourself organised there's something called the All Arms Commando course where they do 12 weeks and it's just a thrashing because the usual commando course is 32 weeks for, for Marines or 52 for officers and it, 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 the 12-week the courses for people who are like British snipers, Gurkhas like NIMS, um, RAF pilots, Navy divers, random dentists, the odd chaplain. And the idea is, is you're meant to be able to <laughs> go in. And, and the idea is you're meant to be able to deploy with a commando unit. And it was obviously very helpful um, in the jungle, very helpful at sea, looking mm-hmm. after people. Um, and dentistry became like a secondary position i was the unit dentist but i ended up doing a paramedics course and and dealing with sort of uh, non-battlefield injuries so car crashes type things like that on the course mm. and then when you advance further in your medical training you do a um, battlefield advanced training so mechanism of injuries blast injuries and gunshot wounds and things and so you you've got your dentist hat wow. but you do your commando thing and you end up doing mm. a lot of um, sort of more Gucci stuff, really, um, and more medicine. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So you were there, so you were doing that for seven years. So, and ha- how, when you then kind of came back to sort of Civvy Street, ha- how was that? Because you effectively, you were at school, you went to uni, and then you spent seven years in, in the armed forces. So you've never really, uh, as an adult, been in kind of regular society so was there a period of adjustment how did you find that coming back yeah well it was a bit of a crazy one really because the culmination of my time with with 40 commander was afghanistan 
and um, that was when it was really bad. You know, it was terrible um, at the time. I was, was, was going to ask a question on that, like before you know, we sort of was that completely there, and it ended up being a main ground. And so you go from that experience of proper warfighting mm. in a forward operating base, you know, dealing with your colleagues who were injured, doing a bit of dentistry on the sides. And then I flew back into the UK after that tour and I, I went to the Royal College of Surgeons and sat an exam in Edinburgh quickly. And then I, I went down to Portsmouth and I was a Maxfax, did my SHO year. So yeah, NHS, military, university, all very institutional organisations and I think when we were coming towards the end of the seven years in the Navy I, I worked freelance for someone and I got ripped off um, and I didn't get paid properly oh. um, so and so you're right the transition to Civvy Street was very different yeah very different mm. did they know that you were a Royal Marine Commander? <laughs> <laughs> no yeah they just I mean if that I, seems like a very very silly thing to do no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it was just one of those um, little mini corporates that, uh, you know, I didn't realise at the time that you, you mm. only did a couple of months and they just took everything as a retainer and I was mm. like, well, you got paid. But I was still did, on gardening leave from the Navy, so I still got paid. Yeah. Did life feel just a bit flat and boring and ordinary? You know, you've been in some extreme situations doing some mad stuff and then suddenly you come back and you kind of got to walk down the road and pick up a newspaper and, and you know, wander down to a dental practice. Was there a period where, is, is this it? Did you feel the urge to go back to a more exciting world? Um, no bombs, no guns, yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. exploding. Do you know, if I'm honest with you, I kind of knew then that that was the pinnacle. Um, and I also looked across at the dentist in right. the Navy and said, look, I don't want to carry on because you do go into two-year jobs and you, you just you move and you move your family mm. every two, three years. I mean, it's okay. But I just looked across the table and I thought, you know, I don't want to wake up at 10 years further down the line. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to sort of get stuck in a, a rut. But um, I do remember going to see a practice. It was for sale. It might have been with you guys at the time. It was in Reading. And it was a partnership. And my wife had driven me and her sister lives near there. So we were going to settle there instead of in Devon. And she... Uh, and I walked out and it was a lovely practice. It was like massive. And they wanted to sell a share. And I sat down in the car and the first thing I said, said to her was, if, if I buy that, that's the end of my life. <laughs> so, so whilst I did, wasn't looking forward. Yeah, and I was like, oh. And, and she just went, right, we're not doing it then. And I said, well, it's probably the sensible thing to do. She was pregnant with Poppy at the time. So let's buy that. And uh, I just thought, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get stuck in that rut of partnership. Mm. Yeah. yeah, which actually, given the other things you've gone on to do, was probably not a, not a bad call. No. So the armed forces, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go on to your dental practice kind of journey in a second, but obviously the armed forces brings a huge amount of discipline and, and, and structure. Has that, has that helped you in, in running a business and your business life? Have you carried some of those, those life skills through to, to what you've done? Yeah, yeah, it does, it does really. And you get imbued with standard operating procedures. And, I, you know, I was never a sort of the most passionate clinical dentist. I haven't, other than being well calibrated with Max Fax and the Royal Colleges, I've never gone on to, to sort of do anything else mm -hmm. within dentistry. But what I do do is I make sure everything's in line and everything's organised. Now, you'll know this from the due diligence process of managing sales. So our organisation, when we sold Exeter, was, you know, everything was in a Dropbox before I complied. So everything was in a Dropbox. We knew where the documents were. Mm. 500 documents went across. 
um, to the lawyers. Um, it was Booper at the time. They came back two days later. We got, got them over another 200, and it came a little bit of a battle of who could get the documents across. And I think that comes from the military, and that mm. comes from being organised. And mm. I wanted to control the money because of the experience, first experience. I wanted to control the money. And I also didn't want to do dentistry if I had to cut corners. And that's the key principle. Like, I'd rather just mm-hmm. not be in the game. It's a healthcare game. It's, it needs to be high quality. I just, I, I'll go do something mm. else. You know, I had a few life skills then. Uh, if, I, if I have to do dentistry, that's something that I'm not massively passionate clinical about. But if I think of it as delivering a service, and we could be, and I used to say to everyone, we could be selling anything, but we're selling the service of dentistry, okay? And it's healthcare. It needs to be super mm. organized. Then, yeah, it, it does, you know, it's funny because I bought this practice here and um, I said to the nurses, I said, by, at the end of February, I am going to walk around and open every cupboard, okay? And, and they go, oh, okay. And this is a full partner practice that we bought out all, all in one go. And I am going to walk around and I'm going to open every cupboard at the end of February. Now, we have a laugh about it, but I'm like, you know, I, I can't deal with any disorganization because it's in the yeah. way of delivering that service. And people don't pay enough yeah. attention to the amount of stuff everywhere and how disorganized they are mm. digitally. Um, and the, the, it, mm. it affects the things we play. Also, I think it says, I think it's that, yeah, and it's that kind of how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you're keeping tidy cupboards, then you're probably keeping a tidy washroom. You're probably very tidy in your note keeping, you know, your patient communication. You know, everything kind of rolls together, doesn't it? So if you open a cupboard and it's messy, mm. immediately comes to so what sort of person works in a space like this? What else yeah. could be not quite to the standard that you want? So it's quite a good, a good measure, isn't it? You I know? think it's a good way of looking at business and, and the fact of getting that knowledge that dentistry is a business. Mm. And it's, mm. the, it, it's the, as you say, Mike, it's the delivery of a service that happens to be healthcare, yeah, and and that doesn't mean mm. that it should be substandard. It yeah. should be delivery, you know, whether it be delivering hot cross buns or uh, you know, I don't know why I chose hot cross buns, but um, pizza or anything. It's 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 business. You have breakfast. Oh, I did. Yeah. So it's it's like getting that structure and organisation in it. I think it's it's a great way for anyone listening to just yeah. think of it. You know, whatever you're doing, you are delivering mm. the service of healthcare. Yeah, and that's that's your business. I yeah. think it's a great one. Yeah, yeah. And if you, so we've, yeah. we've we've kind of run through the. So go. No, oh, I was going to say if you take that back to so on my MBA, when it, when you've really stripped it back, and it's one thing I admire about what you're doing with Frank Taylor. I know you've got different avenues and things. When you strip back a business, a business is all all it is is it is an organisation of things. It's not anything in itself it's just being you know a set of humans turn up um you know hopefully patients turn up um you pay for technology infrastructure all it is is an organization and then underneath a really strong brand and once you once you nail it you go well mm. the more organized wins wins the war <laughs> you know the more swept up you yeah. are you win so i was saying to yeah I was saying to Andy this morning, Mike, that I, one of the few things I quite like about America is the fact they uh, they say the word process as opposed to process. And I think that is the way to look at a lot of businesses. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a process of, you know, doing stuff repeatedly, doing it properly and yeah. ironing out the bits that don't work so as it does work. 
Yeah. Also, I think, I think if you get the processes, the systems, and, right. and the yeah, <laughs> the infrastructure in place, that frees people up to create magical moments because you've got confidence that mm, the back yeah, end definitely, is definitely. in place. The back end is going to protect you. Yeah, there, there's there's security and comfort in having a good system mm. that's good yeah. so that means in that moment when you're talking to somebody you haven't got to be worried about are oh, all the elements going to come together because that's already as a, that's a system you yeah. can then really engage with people so you can have something pleasant and enjoyable as opposed to it all being reliant on you spinning those plates because you've not got those those systems in in place yeah so yeah. obviously as time's gone on business has become a big a big part of, of you and I, I kind of almost from, from listening to you so far it, it sounds like you're sort of a business person that happened to qualify in dentistry as opposed to what lots of principals end up being are dentists who end up buying a business because they see that as giving them, them a form of security. So what was your what was your pathway into to owning dental practices? How did that how did that ultimately come about? Yeah, so um uh we there was a practice for sale. I don't think it was with you guys, it was with someone else, um in Exeter. It sat there for a couple of years. And it was three partners and in Exeter, and it was above a shop. And it was in our price range. So I spoke to David Brewer, um, FC Finland. He's, he's just done this. <laughs> third, oh, yep. Yeah, he's just done our third raise for us, bless him. Um, so he's been with me from the beginning, you know, and I, I really like David, other than the wow. fact that he's a gooner. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool Great fan. Great guy. <laughs> 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 Can we just terminate the uh, podcast? Yeah. Now, I'm a gooner as well, Mark. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I get worse for you because I'm, I'm, I'm a Man United fan. Yeah, oh, it couldn't be any worse for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just really... Oh, Mark, your signal's gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just really like the uh, the way that he works. And he said to me, I think we'd saved about hmm. 20 or 30K from the military days. And I said, oh, um, what can we buy? And he said, something around about 300K. And so and what I liked about him was the way that you brought him in was to get the uh, bank finance secure. You had so many buyers putting in offers that just couldn't raise the finance. The deals were falling down. Yeah. And he's, he's outlined it to me. He said, so you cannot put an offer in at 400. You haven't got enough deposit. And so having those boundaries, there was a practice for sale in Exeter. And because of David, really, you know, it went through. Um, you know, it was phenomenal. So, um, yeah, we bought it. And then... We just changed every system in there and we invested everything back and we didn't draw much off the business, Laura and I, you know, not much at all. And I was always trying to build a team, like in my military days, I was trying to build a team of clinicians and we had some key principles. I talk about university standard treatment plans, um, so that means that all diseases diagnosed and treated. Um, I talk about we aim to not refer work out. So if we haven't got the skill set internally, can we find that skill set? Um, we uh, always run our time. All those sort of you know those key mantras that the practice wasn't doing at the time. Um, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, we had a turnover about it went from about five hundred k to eight hundred k in the first year. So we added three hundred k in the first year. Wow. And then we started layer on top. That's of a big that. jump. Yeah, and then we went to another 400 on top of that the year after, another 500, and it ended up at 2.4 million um, turnover within four years. Um, and that was just through wow. th- that was just through key principles and ethos and tidying the cupboards and doing. And you'll know spinning a business, <laughs> doing a business is like spinning plates, and it's not just about marketing. It's not just about a podcast. It's about how good 
by your staff when I call them, when I want to, you know, want a brochure. Um, and that's the nitty gritty. Yeah, definitely. The grind that we've got to do as business owners that I think is not put, that boring bit, isn't, there's not enough weight on that. Um, and you can sign up to these coaching consultancy courses and it's all about Gucci marketing. And I'm like, oh, it's not really. It's, yeah. It's mm. the systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. we talk about um, we, 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 we use an iceberg um, and usually using lots of things that iceberg analogy um, where you kind of see the bit above the water but we sort of turn it into a tooth for our market but it's a similar principle in that the bit you see isn't as big, big as the bit that you don't see yeah. and I think you're right people don't talk about the bit of owning money a business that, that you don't see that sacrifice you know, the disappointment, the hard work, the graft, you know, all the things that aren't particularly sexy Ooh. and exciting. But you get those right. And that kind of gives you that, that infrastructure and that platform for success. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, exactly. So as you were saying, Mike, we, we say to people, you spend all this money on marketing and then you don't teach people how to answer the phone. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. and Or the fee guide. Like, I can tell a lot about a business from its fee guide. There's an art and a nuance to fee guides. I, can, I look on their website and I know whether they're organised mm. or they're disorganised. And I, I know whether they're singing off the same hymn sheet if there's three or four associates. I know if there's opportunity there. Like, I'm spending the next hour after here going through the current fee guide of this long-established practice and putting a line through about 90% of the coding items and cleaning it up and simplifying it. And the difficulty mm. in simplification is where the value seems to be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people want to be able to easily understand what the proposition is and how do I access it. Yeah, isn't it? That's 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 what people, I think. Anything that's too complicated, mm. um, we know that everyone's attention span is getting less and less. But if your proposition is complicated and people need to sit down, and think about it, and work it out, you've lost them. Yeah, exactly, it, needs be, yeah. it needs to be so obvious, doesn't it, and yeah. transparent. I think the value calculation, Mike, is a real interesting one. Where I, a number of times I've said to people, so how did you base your, you know, your private fees? And they sort of go, well, I used the NHS, and then I times it by two. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, you, 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 you're, you all tell me that the NHS system is is not the right system of value anyway. Yeah. So why are you That's using that as your base point for your yeah. value? And they're like. Oh, I've never really thought about it like that before. <laughs> like, and another good one is like going looking online and, and getting all 10 practices locally and then putting the average in and going, right, I'll, I'll have an average price filling. And you think, well, why are you average? And what, what how's that? Yeah, yeah. And we talk about well, knowing. I listened to Mark Webber talk recently about, about that. And Mark Webber said that, um, you know, the reason average is, is, is average is because it's the most popular thing that everybody does. Yeah. So yes. Why on earth would you want to be average? Why on earth would you e- even go if you go low or high? Yeah. At least you're going to stand out one way or the other by virtue of being average. Mm. You're just caught in the noise in, in the middle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about it. So, so you've got the practice thing. Go on, Karen. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. No, I was, I, was, I was just going to, I wanted to move on to the, because I'm fascinated that you, you've done so much and you had your practices. And whilst you talk about the clinical bit, you still talk like a businessman talking about the clinical bit. You're not kind of sounding to me like a dentist, even even though you are. Yeah. So then you then went on to do an MBA in Exeter University Business School. Yeah. Was it the the growing interest and, and hunger to know more about de- business that took you to the MBA, 
or did you do the MBA to give you the platform to springboard yourself to do more in business? Um, it's a bit more calculated than that. I got to year four of Exeter, we're hitting plus two mil turnover. I was down to two days dentistry, which is what I talked to a lot of people about, was dropping their dentistry down to what they want to do. And it was coming up to year five. Father had been killed when I was eight. I wanted to take my kids traveling around the world. And I wanted to sell the business for a walkaway deal. I had in my chair mm -hmm. an MBA lecturer from Exeter University as a patient. And she said, look, if you get your application in in two days, you can have a free MBA from Exeter Uni as a UK graduate because there's uh, non-first wow. language English students on there um, and, that, and they need to sort of broaden it so that the value in the course is higher. And so they offer within the Southwest sort of eight students to come on board, get your application in and it's a full-time MBA you can do next week. I quickly did the calculation that if I'm doing an MBA full time, I can tell potential buyers that I'm not in the business anymore and I need a walk away deal. Mm. Yeah. No, so just to just to just to recap, you got paid to, you got paid to work your way through dental school and then you got an MBA for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked out great. What, Mike, what are your lottery numbers? <laughs> You know, I'm just well, I'm just working through this process here. You know, um, but yeah, when you say it like that, yeah, I, I do pay for things. I just um, it's just an opportunity. But 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 but, but, but I mean, we we we, we joking about it. But in fairness to you, how many people? would have heard that that MBA lecturer in the dental chair say that and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, interesting, definitely. and they're not taking action. The fact that you've these things, you know, they haven't fallen in your lap. You've seen it, you've made a calculated decision, mm. you've seized the opportunity, and you've benefited from it. Because mm. I know so many people that would have had similar opportunities but not not taken the action necessary yeah. for, the, for the benefit that came their way. Do you know as well? What's that phrase, listened but not heard, or yeah. whatever it is? Andy, there's another, there's another, that was actually a long time in the making as well because that patient is a business coach and um, she, I played football with her partner, her husband, and I'd had conversations with her in the past about business and chatted to her. So she, I'd come to her mind anyway. It was just happened she was in the checkup. She said, you need to get mm -hmm. and, and do it. But I do things like podcasts with you guys and there's, you know, there's no discernible benefit other than, you know, talking nicely and meeting you two for the first time. But I'll do things like that continuously, little magazine articles, little profile builds, not for any sort of great mm. narcissistic thing, but eventually someone messages me and something interesting comes out of it. Yeah. And that's what happened. And I don't... I yeah, don't we agree. I talk to dentists at the minute who own businesses. I'm like, are you out there? Like, are you, are you going to the local PDA group? Are you mi mixing? You can't recruit a dentist at the minute you kind of stay in your surgery mm. like you I, I've just recruited four mm. dentists for Dartmoor not because of but because I, I spend time doing these strange things that I don't know where the value is going to come from but eventually it happens but I think you're right I think sometimes if you know thinking back to ourselves you know when lockdown hit 23rd of March 2020 we took a view to, to get off our backsides and, and double up on our marketing so we turned up to every webinar, chat forum, online platform, social media, yeah. hangout, you name it, we were there. And it was the same thing. We never said, right, so what's the ROI going to be on this? Mm. We just knew it felt right. 
yeah. to appear everywhere. Yes. And guess what? Six months after that, we'd never been busier in our in our in our history. Yeah. So as a result of doing that, it's what you're saying, which is if you just keep turning up yeah. and you keep your profile up, there's no master plan of what it's going to produce. But guess. Well, when you need to hear from people, when you need something, you're the guy that everyone's thinking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's making your availability for business, isn't it? You're available to yeah. Your business. Yeah, you know, and so that's where the yeah. MBA came. So you 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 touch. Yeah, so you touched on it very briefly. So you you then uh, made yourself dispensable to the business. You were able to sell your business. You did your MBA, and you just touched on it. But you did take a family gap year, didn't you? As, yeah, a, as a family, you took a whole year out. Yeah, we did. So how, did that, how did you pull that together? Well, um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I thought back to the student ticket days where you get a segment of, of the earth, and um, you can get one of these student tickets where you can just go around the world, obviously pre-COVID. And you're not allowed to go back into a segment. And we had a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Had friends, obviously, around the world who had moved around. And so we had sort of touch points where we could go. And we just decided, and the psychology, again, on this was that once we'd left, we're always on our way home. So you leave, but you're going home. Yeah. Okay. okay. So it's psychologically, it's not as if you're like, oh, you're wasting time. You're not. You're on a long journey home. And so my wife and I talk about this, and she's a Yorkshire girl. She, she'll readily admit it. You know, she likes a bit of travelling, but isn't, you know, out there doing lots of this sort of weird and wacky and wonderful things. And to be fair to my wife, she just backed us. And we, uh, we suitcase each, five and a three-year-old. Obviously, we had a few quid then, so it was safe. Um, <laughs> we rented out our house, and we just went, and we went slow. So everywhere we went, we went for like two, three weeks, you know, because the kids were so young. Mm. Um, and they turned. Did you go east or west? I went east. So um, Singapore, um, saw an old Navy friend there for a while to break the trip to Australia. Did loads in Australia, then over to New Zealand. The Cook Islands in the middle of the Pacific. My little boy, he's four, mm. watching him swim down the anchor chain of a little boat in a lagoon uh, on, in the middle of the Pacific. Wow. And, and none of us being in a rush to be anywhere else. And it's surprising. There's a lot of Europeans doing this. Um, because of the enhanced paternity and maternity. There was also quite a lot of digital people in eBay and things like that who we met from the UK who, who were just taking extended periods of time abroad. Um, and, I, and I look back on it now, four or five I years think what ago. was really nice in what you said then, you said, you said none of us right. were in a rush to be anywhere else. Yeah. And I think that is almost kind of a, a growing pandemic generally. I think everyone's in such a rush mm. to be in the place they're not. Yeah. They lose the value and the appreciation of that moment, whereas yeah. you really sounds like they they really resonated, and you really sort of soaked up the whole the whole of those moments. Yeah, well, I look back now and I think it's the best thing that I could have possibly done, you know, you know, mm. as a family. And then we came back nine months later, um, and then we started to do different things, try to do diff- different business opportunities, and it was funny, really. Again, it, it was a bit sticky. Struggled with a partnership with someone. Um, wasn't it was never going to work. Um, and then we um, tried to do a project in Taunton, a big hospital project, um, and then the pandemic hit. Um, so I got into consultancy, so I run a consultancy, a bespoke one, a small one, with my business partner, Lucy Simic, who's amazing. She works on the operational level of the business, and I work with the sort of strategy of the businesses. And we've got, um, we have between eight and ten clients working with us, um, and we talk them through Brilliant. systems and processes. Um, and that sort of built in the pandemic. Um, so we built that business, which is great. And I kind of spent half my time doing that. And the idea behind Tavistock and Dartmoor Dental is, is a showroom. 
of our last systems and can we do it again or was mm-hmm. that a bit of luck and this is different environment Tavistock's different to Exeter you know yeah and where's where's Dartmoor Dental at? Because it has has Dartmoor Dental opened yet, or is that uh, one that's just about to? It, no, it has. It's um, it's a fifty-year right. Limbridge House. It's called Limbridge House Dental in Tavistock, and it's this, it's a large practice in this in the town, and um, four partners, very very nice guys, just doing different, you know, just doing different things, and now it's under one leader, one mm. one ownership. Um, we're making investments, and three of the partners right. are staying on. But I gave them all the money, so I don't believe in tying people in. So it's just all the money. Um, obviously, I can pick up a drill if I need to, um, so I can keep it mm-hmm. secure. But we also know our monthly management accounts. So I have all the money, walk away deal, but I'm going to create it, make it so that you want to stay. Um, and I think as an independent mm-hmm. bank, that's yeah. a benefit that we can do. And, and I think that's how differentiated the corporates mm-hmm. and they might need a bit more security in their deals. Whereas I think as an independent buyer, you know, you think about acquisition targets, you say, well, I'll give you all the money. And the, the aim is to build three yep. of these in the southwest, um, and to, over the next fifteen years, three three large ones, or maybe Exeter, Taunton again, um, and just do three pro- yep. over fifteen years. We've just built a house um, on the River X, so we moved in last week. So we're settled in the southwest now. Brilliant. Yeah, we're settled in the southwest, and we're going to do fifteen years business. That'll take me to fifty five. And then we'll do three practices, hopefully big, large ones. And then after 15 years, I'll be on the phone to you guys if you're not off in Mauritius or you're tired. <laughs> or you're, yeah, <laughs> tired. Um, and I'll, I'll be, tell you what, if you're on the phone to me, Mike, something's <laughs> gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll sell it in, uh, we'll sell it in 15 years' time. And it's, again, it's a very independent personal business. Yeah. So. Mm. If you could, if you could roll back and, and sit down and have dinner with the uh, with the young Mike, you know, twenty odd years ago, would you do anything differently? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't think I would because I had a lot of fun, and now it's nice recalling these stories with you of Afghanistan and um, the jungle and jumping out of a helicopter into the Pacific Ocean off a, off a warship. Um, and also having two great children and a lovely wife and building a home. It sounds very fortunate. So I, I think we talked about it earlier, you know, what are your successes? Getting the Commando Green Beret um, with NIMS and people like that. Um, I, I, I can't, it sounds awful, but no, I don't think I would change it really. Um, I can't think of anything else that I would have done. You know, it's been a blast and I've got really great management team. Yeah, no, well. it's... It's a. I mean, it, you're not your average dentist. It's it's a great story, um, and I can see why when you put that call out for associates, you know, people wanted to come mm, and be part yeah, of definitely. it because it's it's not it's, it's not, not just a job. Is no, it? it's not just a job. It's not just working in dentistry. There's there's going to be an edge to it that lots of other people just aren't going to be able to compete with. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lovely answer because I think that your your story, your your background is is fascinating. They almost need to pay to have like the Mike mentorship program or something. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, well, normally we pay 50%, but actually we're only going to pay you 40% because 10% is the cost of me giving you all the knowledge because I, I haven't just been lucky. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, lucky's very, finding £5 on the floor, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's very kind of you. But yeah, we, we try and um, 
we try and invest heavily in the practice. So we're doing nine shares. We're putting about 500,000 of um, short-term finance into it. Um, so, yeah, we, we do invest heavily. So, I mean, I like working with a dentist. I like, I don't, I don't, I'm not specific about the type of dentist I want. It's, it's just more of culture and attitude. And I actually quite like, mm. you know, we don't do much here. So we're going to do 3D and we're going to move on with ortho and implants and restoring them. And I'm really excited about putting them on courses mm-hmm. and getting them going. Um, you know, yep. and seeing them develop, mm-hmm. and I don't mind. With just to point the clinical lead, who's, who's a young lady who's 26, 27, and, she, and you know, there's three partners here, but she's the clinical lead now, and she's in charge of audits and making sure that standards are high. So I, I do hope that we develop people and, and associates, you know, as best as we can, and I, and I work with everybody really. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking brilliant. forward, looking forward to following it, following it over the next next ten or fifteen years. It's a it's um, a great great story. And thank you in advance for the business in fifteen years, <laughs> uh, and I will be on my yacht somewhere. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> we we always finish up by asking our guests the same two questions, mm. and the first one is if you could be a fly on the wall in a certain situation and I think given the the walls that you've already already been a flying through your life this might be quite hard for you to answer but is there is there a situation you you'd love to be looking in on well I, I did have a sort of a complex academic ad about groupthink mentality and um, you know JFK and all that but knowing that you're such big football fans I think it would be Istanbul in 2005 at half time when Liverpool were 3-0 down. No. Um, and this yeah. came up in conversation when I asked that question to my sort of colleagues. And I think sitting there at half-time, and, and also when everything's going wrong, when the whole world's collapsing around you, your world, and sitting there and seeing Rafa Benitez and Gerard and Carragher, and seeing, you know, how do we change, how do we turn this? And I think there's some parallels to business mm-hmm. in, in that, you know, time is a great healer. And if... You don't have to, um, you know, collapse under the um, fortitude in the Royal Marines is really important. And especially linking to a pandemic, you know, there is always a way around and there's always mm. a way out. And for anyone who didn't know, Liverpool were 3-0 down, came back and uh, to 3-0 and won the Champions League in the most glorious victory, better than 1999. but no nice little digger andy thank you but i I think you're right i think that as as bleak as a situation can look that's a a real shiny example of you know it would have been easy to have have, have not changed something and got the result Mm. they got uh, and the the heads dropped so now that's 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 a lovely one and then our last question is if you could meet somebody um fact fiction still alive passed away is, is there someone you'd like to sit down and have dinner with I think it'd be quite awkward I don't think the conversation would be great but I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with Tesla on Elon Musk um, and I'm just <laughs> I'm a little bit and, and it's not just the um, you know the Gucci space stuff it's, it's how slick the buying a car is through Tesla on their website and and mm-hmm. there is some hard yards in culture that's done in Tesla as much as it's a big financial game there's some hard yards done and and he sets that tone I remember when the distribution of the cars were going wrong and he was sleeping on the on the factory floor he had a space company he had Tesla worth billions and he's sleeping on the factory floor I mean there was a few people on social media criticising him big names and he just said you just don't know 
you don't know why I need to sleep on the floor. And if you don't know why I need to sleep on the floor, then you don't really know business and you're a commentator. And, and I thought, yeah. oh, that's, there's some serious hard yards in culture that that man does. I don't think he's the most mm. engaging, but I mean, God, he, he knows how to, you know, he's a business magnet. And I find him really interesting. Oh, he's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. And he, he plays havoc with Bitcoin. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he strikes me as a bit like a, he's a bit like a James Bond baddie, isn't he? You know, f- thankfully he's doing good stuff. But <laughs> he is your archetypal James Bond baddie. He's going to connect all these power units all over the world and suddenly yeah. we're all going to like, our heads are going to pop or something. Yeah, thankfully he's not he's he's got Has he got a cat? I haven't yeah. seen him stroking a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's, it's a lovely point, isn't it? That for all the wealth, success and people around him that could be doing that, it mattered so mm, much to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, yeah, uh, uh, he will be a very interesting person. I think yeah. it might be quite a hard dinner. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think it will be a very interesting couple of hours. Yeah, exactly. Well, lovely, Mike. It's been, uh, we really appreciate your time. I think your your journey, your story is fascinating. That's brilliant. I think we're only probably a chapter or two into what you're going to actually yeah. ultimately end up getting done anyway. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. So, you know, fa- fascinating history, you know, when you think, roll it all together. Thank you know, you've got more experiences probably in your 40 years of lifetime than the vast majority of them in their entire lifetime. It's fascinating the way the journey has sort yeah. of like taken you to where you are now. It's brilliant. Really Thank good. You. Yeah. Thank no, you. No, we really appreciate your time today, Mark. That's been really good. Thank you. What a great conversation with Mike Hesketh. Almost too short. You know, fascinating. We sort of, it's a shame really because we sort of, because we're limited with time. But the, the the military bit would have been fascinating because, you know, he was in a forward operating base. Yeah. I mean, oh, can you imagine I, all that? I wonder whether we need to do a part two at some point. Yeah. Just because, like you say, you could just, without dwelling on it because it's military and it's interesting and exciting, but I just think the business lessons for somebody that had spent seven years hmm. in the military in different places, but also having to be a, a medic and a dentist yeah, that kind of you're talking about kind of fortitude and yeah. standard operating procedures and yeah. systems and so much humility and modesty about the guy. There's no, there's no drama about no, it. I thought all. it was brilliant, lovely, lovely. I did smile though when it was like, you know, do you bring the military? And I was thinking, I wonder if he gets many complaints. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to kill you. No, I know he wouldn't, but do you know what I mean? It's a, he, he was a, just a really nice guy, really yeah. nice, relaxed, yeah. and also sort of hugely unassuming mm. over what he's achieved so far and that MBA thing you know oh, well yeah. I told, yeah we'll take a the year opportunity out. I mean we're calling Amazing. this episode fighting to the top but I think we could have called it tidy in the cupboards <laughs> yes yeah. because when he yeah, said yeah, yeah. about if you've got tidy cupboards that says a lot about your surgery yeah. how you think how you behave and it kind of filters through to everything but that was a a great Great, great conversation. I'm going to go and look at the drawers on the desk. Exactly. <laughs> That's good, no, that brilliant. good yeah. stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs>